Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. The gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, and this can be found on page 988 of the Church Bibles. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts to hear your words. In Jesus' name, amen. What a party! This passage in Matthew that Judith has just read to us brings it all to a head. The scene must have been intoxicating. He was, at last, Jesus doing what all the disciples and all of Israel had longed and hoped for. Jesus was making a statement. They had arrived. Not only had they arrived, but the crowd seemed to understand that. Israel was gathered for the Passover, a feast where huge extended families, perhaps separated for the rest of the year, would meet up again. Passover was a feast of obligation, so everyone that was able would have converged on Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of people would have come to the city. It was a time of remembering God's goodness to the Jews, of celebrating all that was good about being a Jew. There would be feasting and rejoicing. This was one of the few times in the year that young girls and young men could mix, bringing further excitement to families. There would have been street vendors selling all sorts, making enough to live out the leaner months of the year. The streets would have smelt of carnival. Would have been a bit like Notting Hill Gate over Bank Holiday. Even the Romans were getting caught up in the party atmosphere. There was calling out and shouting, the crowd in buoyant mood. And to this explosive mix rides Jesus on a donkey. This is the beginning, <coughs> 
excuse me. <clears throat> this is the beginning of the climax, not only of the strange Messiah, Jesus, but of the whole drama of Israel and the focal point of world history. And it starts as a story which engulfs us and sweeps us up in the excitement. And still the figure at the center beckons, woos, disturbs, frightens, and compels us. He is an enigma. enigma. Today he's riding on a donkey. No accident. This had clearly been planned and thought about. This procession marks the moment when his death becomes to look inevitable and unavoidable. His entry into Jerusalem is the moment when the focus shifts significantly and we become aware that Jesus' death is the only possible outcome. This starts the events of Holy Week when Jesus becomes unambiguous about who he is and what his purpose is. After many times of telling people not to talk about who he was, he's now making an unmissable public statement. The pace and intensity has certainly changed. He clears the temple in a clearly provocative and public act, curses a fig tree, trying to lead the disciples into deeper faith as he does so, provokes the Pharisees in the temple, teaches and talks in parables about a kingdom in a a certainty and intensity that must have been quite mind-blowing. This is the way Jesus is to become the stone the builders rejected. It was time to stand up and be counted. Today, he's riding on a donkey, not a war horse. And this is no accident. This had clearly been planned and thought about. Donkeys are lowly beasts of burden. It's clear when Jesus began to ride rather than walk that something important was taking place. Matthew, Mark and Luke all include the story of the donkey. This was a conscious, deliberate act, not an accidental one. The fact that Jesus sent two disciples to collect the donkey and her foal was also very deliberate. Events are witnessed by two people in a reference to the law in Deuteronomy. Jesus wanted this event recorded. This act, coming into the city in a triumphal procession, was about as provocative as it gets. Nationalistic hopes for freedom from occupation rang high at major festivals in Jerusalem. The arrival of a prophet from Galilee, already with rumours of a messianic presence, would have fueled expectations that overthrow of the Roman occupation and independence was a possibility. Most of the Jewish crowd would have known the references in their history that when one of their kings was proclaimed in defiance of the existing one, his followers spread their cloaks under his feet as a sign of loyalty. Waving the branches they had cut from the trees carried further royal implications. In the long folk memory of Jerusalem, stories were told about the famous Judas Maccabeus, who 200 years before had arrived in Jerusalem after conquering the pagan armies that oppressed Israel. He too had been welcomed into the city by a crowd waving palm branches. He had been the start of a royal dynasty that lasted for over a hundred years. In fact, the Herod family, now in power, had intermarried with the Maccabean family. 
as had the tribe of priests. To add to the effect, the crowd were singing royal hymns. Welcoming Jesus as the son of David was explicit. This was, after all, the city in which King David had made his capital a thousand years before. And half of that time, the Jews had been waiting and praying for a king like David to come and save them from oppression. The fact that the crowd was singing what we now recognize as Psalm 118, a royal psalm of David, shows that they understood the resonances of Jesus' entry. There was no going back from this point. But nothing is ever that simple. Jesus <coughs> had come to Jerusalem not to be crowned king, but to die. The meaning Jesus attaches to this triumphal entry is quite different from, the how, from how the crowd sees it. God's understanding of what makes a triumphal entry is light years away from our own. And the shadow of the cross casts a shadow over all of it. We all love a good party, and the crowd on Palm Sunday were no exception. They were carried away on the wave of excitement and emotion surrounding Jesus. The crowd are often judged by us with the benefit of hindsight as wrong. Perhaps we feel they were easily led, people who will turn on Jesus given a few days and a little stirring up. But Jesus knew that these people, excited and buoyant as they were, were on Palm, oh, sorry, excited and buoyant as they were on Palm Sunday, would be the ones who would call for the release of Barabbas on Good Friday. Isn't that just like us? Jesus invites us to come as we are, sinners, people who get it wrong. He's not looking for the super spiritual who've got it all sorted. It's not those who are sick that need a doctor, but the well. Jesus loves us in the mess of our lives, not only when things are looking good. Jesus loves us in our rejoicing and our mistakenness, our fun and our tears. When we're happy and confident and feel we've got it all right, and in our wilderness and our pain. Jesus is not looking for super-Christians. He's looking for sinners like you and me. One of the last things Jesus did (coughs) was to pray for forgiveness for those who'd put him on the cross. He was not expecting us to have got everything sorted or to be able to see where we're going wrong all the time. He knew that sometimes we wouldn't be able to resist and sometimes we wouldn't swim against the tide. He knew we would fail and we would get it wrong. And his reaction was to pray for us and to forgive us. His message is one of grace. He was there in the paradox and the difficulty as he is now. All we need to do is to ask. The crowds that day would have prayed earnestly for salvation from oppression. They were expecting an answer from God. And when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, they must have thought God had at last answered their prayers. However, answers to prayer aren't always what we expect. The people here wanted a prophet, a king who would overthrow the Romans. 
But Jesus was there to tell them about God's judgment. They wanted a Messiah, but this one was going to be crucified on a pagan cross. They wanted to be rescued, but Jesus was going to rescue them from evil in its fullest depths, not just from Roman occupation. Precisely because Jesus says yes to their prayer at the deepest level, he will say no or wait to the desires they're conscious of and that they are expressing. Through them, he will reach out to the whole world. Faith becomes possible not only for the Jews, but for all of us. That's the thing about prayer. (coughs) Once you ask Jesus to help, he will do so more thoroughly than you imagined, more deeply than probably you wanted. Prayer is often answered in ways we don't expect. Put simply, prayer is a profound and deep mystery. There's lots of theories about prayer. I've read tons of books on prayer, and most of them, quite frankly, should be pulped. There is no simple formula for prayer or for answers to prayer. I don't think we can ever understand how God answers Part of the problem on Palm Sunday was that the crowd thought they had understood God. I haven't got a clear understanding of prayer, but I do know that the minute that we think we understand God, we've got it wrong. Prayer is about opening ourselves up to God, being welcomed into relationship with the Trinity. Of course we can ask for our needs in prayer. Of course we can talk to God about what's going on. We can pray and receive answers to everything, every day. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray, but we can't dictate the answers, as the crowd on Palm Sunday discovered. God is God, not our puppet. The story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is a story about the mismatch between our expectations and God's answer. Jesus' arrival in the city is indeed the moment when salvation is dawning. Excuse me, I'm going to get a drink before I have another coughing fit. Jesus was already looking forward to the second coming. The party on Palm Sunday was a possibility, sorry, was possibly a foretaste of the party awaiting us in heaven. Much of the teaching that Jesus gives us in this last week is about kingdom values, helping the disciples and us to understand that all is not going to end. Jesus' crucifixion was no accident. He went into Jerusalem willingly to achieve what no one else could, reconciliation of humanity with God. Those who try to say that Jesus was just a good man who let things get out of control haven't understood Jesus or the events of that first Easter at all. All Jesus does in this last week points to a kingdom whose values and reason are completely different from this world and its values. Jesus came to sustain the weary and undergo suffering. And we are called to the same journey, perhaps to be misunderstood, but to be willing and to be bold and to be obedient anyway.
those who tell and live by the story of the cross may learn to understand about the call to take our share of this world-changing, world-healing passion. Those who go this way may have to face and suffer much, but they will not be put to shame. This story of the first Palm Sunday brings us to the heart of our faith, faith that is able to hold the apparent contradictions, that doesn't go for the easy answers, and above all, faith that forgives and loves, however difficult it gets. This is faith that lives well in today, knowing that the second coming will happen and Jesus will be Lord of all. Amen.